Hello and welcome to Come Back When the Leaves Are Green. This is the podcast which accompanies Orthopaedic Research UK's new one-day intensive course in paediatric orthopaedics, part of the FRCS Orth exam. I'm Gavin Spence joining you from Dubai and Michalis Kokonakis joining us from London. Michalis, good evening. We're going to talk about exam technique uh, rather than the core knowledge today, correct? Technique. I, I have to admit, I can't wait for the podcast tonight, especially for our guest. Yeah, our guest. Our guest is a friend and colleague, Rishi Deer. Rishi is not a paediatric orthopedic surgeon. So what is he doing on this podcast exactly? Well, Rishi has run courses with Orthopaedic Research UK. He also runs them through his own organization, Let's Talk Doctor, doctor with a dr.com. And he has expertise in this area of exam techniques. So Rishi, you're very welcome. Thanks so much for joining us this evening. Hi, Gavin. Hi, Michaelis. Um, thank you very much, both of you, for having me. I'm in very honoured company, and it's always lovely to learn from you guys as well, um, and especially to be a, a guest on your fantastic podcast. Well, it's it's great to have you on board. And do, do you know, I've, I've realised you and I share uh, an interest, which I didn't realise we had, which is musical stuff. You're a musical orthopaedic surgeon, a singer, I believe. Yes, I am. I am, yes. Thank you. Yes. Whenever I can. How about yourself? I'm, a, I'm an instrumentalist. I'm a, I'm a mad keen trumpet player and pianist. And I, I have done some singing, but uh, my kids would say I really shouldn't. But uh, it's it's interesting to me that, that singing is your thing. Because one thing I did learn about singing, which is different to playing an instrument, you, you are seriously exposed. It's just you, you know, presenting yourself. Um, there's nowhere to hide. You can see where I'm going with this, right? This is this is similar to the to the exam situation where the pressure's on. And before Absolutely. before you joined us, before we hit the record button, I was saying to Michalis that one thing I remember, and I think other people probably have noticed this on rotations there, and there was we always had somebody in our rotation who'd taken the exam four times and failed it, and nobody could understand why. It sh- it surely wasn't lack of core knowledge because they were studying like crazy. And I'm just wondering if this is what you had noticed too, and what was the inspiration behind the the work that you're doing. So. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this whole idea that exam technique was so important. Well, I suppose, actually, I'm really happy you said the whole music thing as well, because for me, with singing, and and I've been doing that professionally for many years as well, um, we were always taught when we were singing about communication. Singing is actually to communicate words, to communicate sounds, lyrics, etc., rather than just to deliver them. And so I see a lot of similarities between that and also Um, with orthopaedics, particularly oral exams or oral interviews, I would say. When I I was someone who kind of came from a background of media and did a lot of video work and things like that, and I found that actually there's a lot of similarities to the way that you deliver a television interview or even a consultant job interview and how you deliver an orthopaedic oral exam or any kind of oral exam. And, And what I used to find is it's quite funny how when we go into an interview, we sell ourselves the very best we can. You know, I'm the best for this job. This is my experience. Please take me. Dum, 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 dum. We have that very sort of, I wouldn't say aggressive mindset, but it's a mindset of like, really, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing. Please have me. But why do we not go into an exam with the same mindset? Whereas this is my decision making. This is what I'm doing to back up that decision making. And this is the evidence or the concepts behind it. So that kind of sort of tickled me a little bit back in 2016 when I met you both actually doing the ORUK course, which is a fantastic course, guys, by the way. Um, And so after I did that exam, um, and and I have to sort of confess here, guys, as well, I didn't, people say to me, oh, Rishi, you must have been come out of the womb being able to speak or this like that. And I try and say to people, no, every mistake I teach you about are things that I've made myself. Believe me, I've made 
countless mistakes. I've done countless poor presentations. I've messed up in exams. So I'm just teaching you from my own bad experiences as well as good. Um, and, and that kind of got me interested in, well, actually, you only have five minutes in the part two exam, particularly. And it's more about the articulation and the way you present that knowledge, giving it in a very succinct manner, using key buzzwords, delivering it in a very structured manner, similar to how you would an interview. And so I started developing techniques through my own experiences, through watching others, through some of the television interviews as well, and seeing if I could apply some of those techniques to to orthopedic oral exams. And so I suppose it kind of developed from there um, and set up a how to pass the FRCS course with ORUK in 2017. I'm very grateful for them for giving me the opportunity. And Gav, you've um, taught on that as well for many years. And 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 that kind of gave me an opportunity to hone these techniques a bit further as well. So, so yeah, we can go on about some of those too. Yeah, sure. I mean, perhaps we could uh, talk about specifics. So, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I have taught on your courses, but I mean, very much I was I was there for them to practice the techniques on me in, to a certain extent that you had taught them. Can you give us some concrete examples mm-hmm. of you know mistakes people make and the ways in which they can improve? So one thing that people do is they have this impression that a lot of detail, for example, classifications or evidence or papers is needed to pass the exam. Now, what you have to remember is they are teaching you to become a safe day one consultant who works in district general hospital, which is the role that I fulfill as a consultant now. So I always say to people, you have to walk before you can run. You have to get the six first before you can get the seven or an eight. And the six is usually... Not in all cases, but in most cases, it's the safety question. What am I testing that's safe as a day one consultant? So, for example, in pediatrics, if I saw a a child with a genuverum or a genuvalgum, what I would want to know is, is it physiological or is it pathological? And I'd want the candidate to come out with that very quickly after looking and describing what they see. So if it's asymmetrical, I would probably, and the child is, let's say, four years old presenting with a genuverum, I would probably say, this is a clinical photograph of a asymmetrical genuverum. My concern is that it may be pathological because of the age of the child, according to the Silenius curve. I would expect them to be in valgus at this age, and also because it's asymmetrical. So that immediately shows the examiner, okay, this is somebody who's thinking on a higher order level. They're picking up the child in their clinic who may be something a bit more worrying, maybe something that needs to be concerned about. If somebody came in, let's say, with a knee pain, and unable to weight bear in a adolescent child, I would be thinking, are you going to examine the hip? Are you thinking about Sufi? Are you not just focusing on the knee? And if you are thinking of Sufi, are you thinking whether this is stable or unstable? So that's what I would want my candidate to get out quickly. If it was a, I'm trying to think of another example as well, if it was a, a congenital upper limb deformity, something like a radial club hand, something which panics a lot of candidates, I try and say to them, you know, keep calm. They're only testing you as a day one consultant. They're not asking you as a specialist of pediatric upper limb deformities. So you should be able to describe the deformity, but you should think what is going to kill the child. It's not going to be the deformity. It's going to be the associated anomalies. So things like Vactyl or Varta. So would you check the heart? Would you check the kidneys? Would you check other systems? And so for me, that's what I would call a safe six, basically going for the, the money first. This is very important, Rishi. I mean, we have mm-hmm. to consider that most pediatric orthopedic surgeons do not have answers to those yes. controversial pediatric orthopedic topics anyway. So the candidate should answer the question 
thinking that I'm not here to give the solution. I'm here to describe, as you said, this is what it is. And as a day one consultant, what are the problems associated with this and how can we, what are the different kind of management options? This is very true. What would you say um, for topics such as displeasure of the hip, um, where there are specific guidelines, the newest guidelines from um, uh, the NIPI new guidelines about when to ultrasound scan. We had already on this podcast FRCS pediatric orthopedic examiners that said, yeah, you know, you might, you might be asked about this. How would the candidate deal with this kind of very specific, very focused pediatric uh, orthopedic focused questions? How do they deal with this? How can they improve their technique? I have got a very good technique. I was gonna kind of show you later, but I can show you. I can show you it now. So uh, I call it my um, my five D structure. So my surname is Dia D H I R. So I call it the five D structure for tackling any FRCS question where you get a bit stuck. Okay. So the first D, uh, and this is what I call if you're ever stuck in an exam, go for the structure. So the first D is describe. Have an opening gambit within the first 20 seconds, 30 seconds for describing something. So for example, this is a clinical photograph. It shows. This is an AP radiograph of the pelvis in a skeletally immature individual. It shows. This is an explanted specimen. It shows. Okay. And then when you describe it, try and describe it in terms of higher order thinking. So for example, if I saw a radiograph of DDH, I would want them probably to comment on four things, maybe the size of the ossific nucleus, I'd want them to comment on which quadrant it sat in if you crossed Hilgenreiner's and Perkins lines. So is it in the upper outer quadrant or is it where in the inframedial, which is where it should be? I'd want them to comment on the acetabular index and I'd want them to comment on Shenton's line. So straight away, I'd probably start with something like that. If they were given an ultrasound, um, I would say something like, okay, this is a picture of a baby ultrasound which shows a reduced alpha index, uh, sorry, an alpha uh, angle and an enlarged beta angle um, with a sublux femoral head. This is DDH. And so I would I would have an opening gambit, a description. I would then give the diagnosis within about 30 seconds, what I think it is. And then after that, the third D would be discussion. I would discuss what are my concerns about those case and how would I address those concerns. So, for example, I suppose in dysplasia of the hip, yes, you may need to know specific guidelines, but what are they testing is again, safety. So in a dysplastic hip, I would want to know, is it which of those may be amenable for certain treatments or not? So is the hip reducible? Is it something like a congenital or a teratologic hip? Have they got arthrogryposis? Have they got a neuromuscular condition? In which case, I'm probably not going to do a pelvic harness. What is the age at which they've presented? Have they got any other associated risk factors or anything like that? So those would probably be my third D, discuss. And I talk about how would you address those concerns? Well, you can um, investigate them clinically, radiologically, biochemically, if necessary, okay, to rule out your differential and get your diagnosis. The fourth D is decide. What is your actual decision-making going to be? Um, and I usually start off by giving a goal. So my decision-making in DDH would be to have a stable, concentrically reduced hip, which allows normal acetabular development to prevent degenerative joint disease. Okay, and then way I treat it would depend upon the age at which they present, whether I go for a public harness or a spiker or an open reduction or osteotomies, whatever I do. And then the final D is basically your discussion point or detective, which means a diagram or or sorry, detective, which means evidence or diagram. So I suppose in the case of DDH, that would probably be a discussion about osteotomies. 
So that would kind of be my 5D structure. Yes, there are specifics you may need to know in terms of guidelines, but I think, I mean, maybe, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong there, um, Michaelis, but I think what they're probably looking for you as a safe consultant is, do you safely understand and apply that knowledge rather than have you just learned a list of guidelines? I think you not only you get a six if you say your 5D technique, which I think I will adopt from now on when they ask me <laughs> questions in, in kind of meetings or courses, um, you, you go for a seven for sure, and that, that will give mm. you the the last extra point. And mm. uh, maybe, as you say, if somebody asks you earlier on, which I don't think they will do, but if they do, then you go back to your principles and try to describe, yes. go back to your 5Ds and leave that question for later. And I presume sometimes it's good to uh, to admit that you don't know as long as you think you covered all the principles. Is that right? No, absolutely. So I remember my exam was in Norwich and it was it was really funny actually, guys, because so it's one of those things on the clinicals. Obviously, pre-COVID, we had patients. So everybody was going in the car park and all of the candidates were like watching the patients going in and we were like, oh, they've got a limp. They've got a short, because you're trying to think of like, you know, just, and, and everyone's like sharing information about all oh, that patient. There's a plexus wandering in the corridors. Oh, there's a child who's got, you know, you know what it's like? So I think the poor patients were watching this group of doctors, just watching them in the corridors and the, in, in the car park. But I remember I went into um, one of my stations in the short cases. I didn't have a clue what it was. And the examiner said, okay, get this child to walk, tell me what you think. And I must have walked them about seven times. And the examiner's right. After about two minutes, like, you've got to say something now. <laughs> you've got to say. So I just said to them, I said, look, I said, look, I can't describe the gait, but what I can notice is that there's a, there's a wider gap between the first and second toes on both sides. I also noticed that the child doesn't really seem to have an initial contact or a heel strike. So I'm suspecting that there may be some sort of congenital abnormality. I also noticed that there's a Cincinnati scar all the way posteriorly. So this could be something like a recalcitrant club foot that's failed or been, and and, and, I, and it was right. And he kind of guided me through it. But what the, the advice actually somebody said to me, is they said, Rishi, before you get into the exam, if you ever don't know what it, what it is, and there'll be cases you don't, just describe, describe, describe. As you would in a normal clinic, I try and say this to my students and say, look, you are not expected to get a full diagnosis in five minutes because in real clinics, we don't do that. Um, you know, we have MDT, we have cases where we'll send people for investigations, we have a, a differential we might have, but it's sometimes very difficult to get a full diagnosis and management plan in five minutes. I mean, so as a safe day one consultant, I wouldn't always expect people to get a, a full diagnosis in five minutes. You just have to be yourself, I suppose, isn't it? Just be genuine yeah. like you would do when you're in the clinic. Mm. And then mm. I think the examiner will appreciate this. And as you said, yeah. they will guide you through this rather than you know, saying one diagnosis which is wrong, if they see yeah. that you actually can observe and you make very uh, reasonable comments, they just guide you through this and oh, yeah. that's what you need to pass. Yeah, exactly. Can I just clarify one thing yeah. with you, Rishi? So this this 5Ds concept, this is your yes. framework to get through five minutes of the Viva, right? You're, you're not suggesting that people go from the first yeah, yeah. To, the, to the last one without pausing for breath, right? No, 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 absolutely, yeah. This is a framework, really, Gav, to get you all the way through. So, uh, and and that's that's a really important point because uh, another technique that I teach is is this thing called um, anticipation and guidance, and, and I teach that on my my course though in ORUK as well. So, what I try and say to people is actually you kind of know the way that a viva is going a lot of the times. You know where you have to go to to get the eight. So rather than working forwards, I think of the last question and then I work backwards. OK, but an important point to note is it doesn't mean you talk for five minutes and you 
don't let the examiner interrupt you. If they're interrupting you, it's because you've ticked off everything they want to and they want to take you down a different path. So let them interrupt you and let them guide you. And I, I can give you some examples of that um, in a few minutes or something about the anticipation and guidance, but that's another technique you guys can use as well. That yeah, definitely. Help. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you give us, give us a concrete example? So, so for example, if I, if I think of just DDH, which you mentioned, usually, usually, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong as well, is it, the last question is normally going to be about osteotomies. So it might start off with diagnosis, you know, whether that's looking at a um, an ultrasound scan or an X-ray, and then management, which could be a public harness, could be EUA and closed reduction at uh, you know six months, could be open reduction at nine, uh, twelve months. Sorry, it could be femoral or acetabular osteotomies. But usually, that's the last question. With Sufi, if I go back to my my five D structure, the final D that I mentioned is either detective or diagram or discussion point. So the discussion point for Sufi will normally be the three controversies. Do you fix in situ or do you reduce and fix? Do you prophylactically fix the other side? And also the timing of when you do it. Should you do it acutely or should you wait? So for me, I try and say to students, okay, so describe what you see on the radiograph. So you could talk about how you know, there's a positive Trithawan sign, there's destruction of Klein's lines, I can see that there's a mild, moderate or severe slip. Diagnosis, diagnose it. Discussion, what are your concerns? Well, I'm concerned that this may be stable or unstable, so I want to keep the child non-weight bearing until I've assessed them. I want to take an appropriate history and ask key questions. Don't waste time. So I would want to know if there's any endocrinopathies such as growth hormone deficiency. I'd want to know if it's an obese child. I'd want to know at the age at which they present because obviously that's a risk factor as well. I'd want to know if any other side is um, affected, if there's any family history. Uh, on examination, I'd be looking for obligate external rotation when they flex their knee up. Biochemically, I'd check their thyroid function. I'd check their bloods just to make sure it's not infection as well. And radiologically, I might get a, a frog lateral, or if I was concerned about propagating the slip, I might get a cross-table lateral as well. So that would kind of be my discussion then decision-making is going to be about, okay, is this something that I can manage in my DGH or is it something that I need to potentially refer to my pediatric colleagues like yourselves? So is it something like a moderate or severe slip, which might need more of a uh, an open reduction or something like that, surgical dislocation? And if I was going to do it myself, how would I fix in situ? Well, I probably wouldn't use a traction table. I'd probably make sure that it's anterior in the neck, center, center in the head, five threads crossing the physis. I'm just... I'm using buzzwords, Gav, as much as I can there. I'm not wasting time. And then the final D would be those three controversies, maybe with a paper to, to back it up. And I know I spoke to one of my pediatric colleagues, and I, I say the, um, my, um, the Nick Clark, Michael Glow paper from Southampton, they were like, Rishi, you do realise we have got some more modern papers after that, don't you? So I'm quite, I'm quite, I'm quite old-fashioned in my, re my research. I'm sure you guys can tell me <laughs> a better paper to use than that or a more modern one, but... But that would kind of be my structure in my head. So rather than working forward, I think I always say to my trainees, think of where it's going to go. And that's probably where you need to reach to get an eight. So don't waste time. Try and get those bullet points as quickly as you can to get through them. Uh, and that's what I mean about anticipation. So I throw little carrots out to the examiner. So it doesn't mean I talk continuously for five minutes, but I throw out little carrots where I know you know, I might say things like, oh, well, I would take a history asking about risk factors that the other side might be involved, knowing that the examiner's next question would be, OK, what are those risk well, factors? Well, that's very 
No, sorry, Gavin. Obviously, rich means only mention the buzzwords if yeah. you know how to answer them. Otherwise, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. don't otherwise don't, because, you know, yeah. you, you kind of anticipate that they're going to ask you about this. Yeah. And I think I just want to say, when it comes to papers, so, for example, I would tell you now that I will teach on the coming course, Orthopedic Research UK, that all-in-one one day that we have, that Nick Clark's paper, nobody should go um, with that paper because acute nobody should be doing acute close reductions within 24 hours. But then I will have other papers to support this. But I would say in an exam situation, if somebody mentions about Nick Clark's paper, that's fine. That is the paper mm-hmm. which has been guided the pediatric orthopedic and the, uh, the, the trauma orthopedic uh, teams for the last 20 years. And it's only recent evidence in the last three or four years that shows that actually it can cause AVN and nobody has reproduced the results. So as long as you mention the paper, you know what the paper is, is about, you don't necessarily need to know the recent evidence that is controversial. And remember, some of the examiners might not even know this. So they might, they might be happy to hear about this paper. So when it comes to papers, as long as you know what the paper message is about, then you, you should support you know all the reasons that you're giving there. Gavin, you wanted to ask Rishi something else. Yeah, I was just going to mention, um, Rishi, you, you talked about sort of throwing carrots out to the examiner. It's almost like you you are suggesting that it might be possible to lead the viva in certain directions, and it's that's interesting to me because we had Tahir Khan give a uh, a podcast with us. He's been an examiner for a very long time, and and he was saying that there are certain questions that you yeah. have to answer. That's your basic competency question, but after that, there are various that's directions it could go. He said, you know, if the if the candidate wants to talk about treatment, yes. that's fine. If the candidate wants to talk about pathology, well, that's fine too. So from combining what he's said and what you've said, it may be possible to actually lead, take control of the viva, which I guess the, you're, you're flying, right, if you get into that sort of position. Absolutely. And, and for me, and I know, I know people think I'm probably a bit masochistic saying this, but for me, that's when the viva kind of becomes a bit of a pleasurable experience. Like it's actually quite fun. And as I say this to the, all those students who probably hate me for making a comment like that, it's easy to say that when you're on the other side. I, I totally admit that. Like when I, when I did my consultant interview, I was completely mind my French, but papping it. But then having gone through now, I kind of understand that actually, you know, there are ways that you can lead oral interviews, but yes, quite right. You have to get a basic level of competence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, for a, for a, uh, for a Sufi or for a DDH, there is a certain, well, well for example, I didn't mention, but a femoral fracture in, in a in a young child, particularly non-ambulant, you have to say NAI. I mean, you have to. That's a pass-fail thing because that's a safety question. So there's certain things you have to get out. But yeah, absolutely, there is lots of scope to take it the way you want to. Another one I remember you talking about compartmentalizing your answers. What's, what's oh, yeah. that about? Right. So I'm going to give you this in an example, a completely non-medical. So this is me talking about my my fellowship when I went to Australia. So imagine I give you this story. When I went to Australia, um, stayed in Melbourne, had some nice food, um, sort of went to the beaches, saw lots of sports, did some good surgery, learned lots of techniques, met some friends, went and climbed some mountains. So I've given you some great content there, but it's so boringly delivered that I've kind of probably lost both of you as well as losing myself. Whereas imagine if I say, when I went to Australia in my fellowship, I discovered things about myself, not only physically, but also mentally and spiritually, and it changed my life for good. So so, so automatically, you've, you've enhanced your audience's interest. They're like, And then you go, physically, I did this, 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 and this. 
psychologically this, this, and this, or mentally this. So, so straight away, I've given compartments or signposts for where I'm going to go. And so for me, that's what compartmentalization is about. It's about bringing things into, um, and if I, if I use a, I'm trying to think of a pediatric example, but if you're not sure what to do about compartmentalization, you can think of it in terms of causes. So why do infections occur or why do hips dislocate? Patient factors, surgeon factors, implant factors, or what is the site of nerve compression? You can go by anatomical sites from proximal to distal, or what are the complications early immediate late or sorry immediate early or late so you can go by chronology anatomical site you can go by person patient surgeon or implant so these are some classical ways in which you can compartmentalize or signpost but the recent exam for example is uh, they don't have patients so in the intermediate cases they have to deliver histories and they don't have patients so one technique i often teach my students is a really good way to get through the intermediate is to compartmentalize so for example I have a a case that I had where it was a 13-year-old child who came in and the blurb that you got was the GPs asked you to see this child who's complained of a pain and deformity in their back, okay? So immediately I'm thinking in the back of my mind, okay, could this be scoliosis? That's what I'm thinking. So I would say to the um, examiner, say, well, the first thing I would do is introduce myself, wash my hands and ask for consent for taking the history because even though you don't have a patient, you've still got to pretend that you're in a clinic. So you've got to go through the same steps. I would then want to find out about the history of the deformity and the pain, starting with both a condition history and a risk factor history. So I've compartmentalized or signposted it into those two things. In terms of the condition history, I'd want to know about the chronicity of the deformity. How long have they had it for? How is the pain? Have they had any associated neurology? Are there any skin changes associated with this? Have they had any previous treatments, any bracing, any operations? And then in terms of the risk factor history, I want to ask about things which may make this curve progress. So what's the age of Menarche? Have they had their growth spurts? Have they got a single curve or a double curve? So I'm asking factors about which may make it more likely to progress. So that's an example of where you can use compartmentalization in Mm -hmm. practice. So these are you explicitly mention the compartments before you then go on to describe them. Absolutely. I do the same, Gav, in, a, in an interview scenario. So, for example, they, they gave me a, and I know it's a Peds podcast, so I won't, I won't waste your time but with too much with that, but they said something like, a colleague of yours came in drunk to do an operation, what would you do? So I would start by saying, look, this is a complex scenario. There is a patient safety issue here, but there is also the issue of my colleague's welfare as well. So I've automatically structured it for the examiner in terms of patient safety the first thing to do is to that's my priority renew um, remove my colleague from the clinical scenario it may involve involving the scrub nurse the anesthetist then you talk about possibly escalating it as appropriate learning from it but then finally a note about your colleague this may be a one-off scenario you need to make sure your colleague has appropriate support etc so you kind of compartmentalized how you're going to answer that before you answer it i think it's a really good technique mm, to use sure gavin i have to say my expectations are be you know what what Rishi has delivered today is beyond any of my expectations for this podcast. Fantastic uh, advice, fantastic tips. How how easy do you find it to teach people these techniques? How how easy are them are they to to pick up? I, I guess different people go at different rates. I think yeah, different people at different rates. But I think on the whole, people are they, they kind of look at me when I start like you're talking voodoo. 
And then they kind of hear you after about 10 minutes. They're like, actually, you know what? It really does work. Like the 5D structure, loads of my students have come back to me, a few who've done the recent exam. And they said, actually, it really worked. I was stuck. And I just went, because I always said that to them before they go to the exam, if you're ever stuck, just drop back to that structure. Just drop into that structure and it will get you through. And, and a lot of them have used it. They've said it's worked really well. So I think people are quite on board with it. Um, and, and I suppose that's my main goal, guys, because I, as an educator, somebody who's very interested in education, I, I want to try and get those messages out to people. My philosophy is we learn orthopedics for six years and it's like a, a sculpture. We build more and more and more and more detail. And then we come to the last three weeks before the exam and everyone's like, oh, no, my exam's in three weeks. Now I've got to learn how to structure it. And my philosophy is why not learn that from day one? Why are we not teaching our SHOs or ST3s how to present like this from day one? And then you have the structure and you build the plasticine on top of it. So then the detail comes later, but at least you've got the basics down. And so, you know, if I can sort of pass that on to people and help with that and maybe get people interested in technique a bit, and, and it is quite a geeky thing and it's a bit out there and stuff, but I, I think it's quite important. Because unfortunately, a lot of our exams are oral exams. They're not written. So yeah, and they're, <laughs> according to Tahir, they're they're here to stay in that format. Rishi, we could we could talk all evening about yeah. this. It, it's fantastic stuff. I'm I'm so grateful to you for yeah. for your time. I really do. I genuinely think you're you're onto yeah. some really important stuff here, and you and you've pioneered that. We're really grateful to have a bit of your time here to discuss it. Thank you so much. Thank um, you, guys. Michaelis, thank you for your input thank too, you. and. For our listeners, if they want to get more information about your courses and, and your techniques, they can go to letstalkdoctor.com and we'll put a link to that in the description for this podcast. I hope you found this information in the podcast useful. Guys, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure having you and uh, we'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Hello and... Hi, guys. No, How hang are on. You? you have to wait for me. I have to introduce you. <laughs> <laughs> season pro isn't he <laughs> okay here we go here we go